How hot is Luke Walton's seat? Was the Celtics-Warriors game a preview of the finals? Who should make the All-Star game as a reserve? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to bring on, as always, Jared Weiss, Talk about a host of things in the NBA. Jared, are you there with me? I am here with you. I can actually see you. I'm not sure why I'm asking you, but it's always nice to just check and make sure. I, I mean, I'm emotionally here with you, if that's what the real question is. Oh, thank God, because I need some emotional connections. I am alone way too long in my office watching uh, endless c- clips of uh, Drew Holiday going to the basket. So uh, I'm glad that you're here for me. I can feel it over the interne- internet waves uh, <laughs> coming at me. So thank you. And sports fans, thank you for uh, joining us today as well. And I want to begin the show with something I don't often do, although maybe it's sprinkled in, my hot takes get sprinkled in. But this is going to be a big, like, hot take, alarm, emoji. And I'm going to drop this on your lap. And I'm curious to think what you think on this one, Jared. Are you ready? Give it to me. I think that LeBron's injury and the the amount of time he's been out, he has been unnecessarily extending his absence to get Luke Walton fired. Thoughts? Not a shocking take. I thought it was going to be a little bit, a little bit more out of left field, but I don't understand why they want to fire or why he reportedly wants Luke Walton to be fired. He, I mean, he knows Luke pretty well. Obviously they've played together, Luke has a really solid track record when he was in Golden State. This is a much taller task. But like the roster is the issue. The issue is the is the moves that they made. The fact that they let go of Brooke Lopez to bring in JaVale McGee, and JaVale hasn't worked out very well for them, while Brooke has been the exact center that they needed to have for this situation, that they got guys like Lance, they got guys like Beasley. Like they just they, The player acquisition part is the issue, I, I just I haven't seen anything to tell me that Luke get, you know, bringing out Luke and bringing in I don't know who probably not Ty Lue I don't know like who the coach would be in this situation but I he should be trying to put pressure on them to make acquisitions to make small trades to get guys on the buyout market I don't see how switching Luke is going to help them in the short term and certainly I don't think it's going to help them in the long term Luke's a long term coaching prospect well let's okay first we got to talk about when we first heard uh, uh, an incident uh, or the idea that Luke was going was going to be gone was right after Tyron Lue gets fired in Cleveland not a coincidence in my mind at all magic had to have his talk right and they were yelling at each other or he was yelling at Luke or whatever that whole thing was and that was back when you know the beginning of the year so when you mentioned Tyron Lue there's something there I, I think um, I also feel like the moves that you, you describe in this roster stuff uh, were it kind of felt like it was LeBron controlling that. Like, hey, LeBron, we want you to come here and assign and whatever you want to do. Hey, go ahead. Like, you know, bring in other guys that you're represented by or that, that, rep- that your team represents. Great. Let's do that. Uh, we'll happen to have Beasley and all these guys in here. So I think I think that, you know, any kind of moves and you want to criticize the front office, it's almost like you got to criticize LeBron for that. But I also just feel like it's kind of like when he got to Cleveland when Blatt was there. Blatt was simply not his guy. And you can read into that as much as you like or as little as you like. And I don't know. I feel like when you know LeBron coming in L.A. now, like Luke is not, quote-unquote, his guy either. And it could very well be the dynamic that Luke had been there for several years and has 
you know, institutional control. And that's probably a big problem for LeBron. And uh, it isn't as much when they bring somebody else in after LeBron's been there. So I don't know. Uh, either way, it sounds like uh, I would, I would ne- not necessarily want to be in Luke's position right now. Well, what I hope is that management looks at the Spolstra situation where LeBron wanted Pat to come back and step in for Spo, and Pat held strong. And Spo was in a similar position that Luke was in at the time. And he grew into being one of the best coaches in the NBA. And even if he didn't have the titles, I think Spo would still be looked at as one of the most respected coaches in the league. And he certainly won LeBron over. The Blatt situation in Cleveland was more about Blatt's personality, where Blatt was expected to be the super controlling kind of celebrity type coach the way he was when he was in Israel, where he was like the most famous guy in Israel for a while. And he just didn't have that in the NBA. And he didn't adjust to the fact that the players controlled the league. And then he brought in Ty, who was a good fit for LeBron. So Luke has always been, he's always had a perception as being a good player manager coach, especially considering that was his role when he was in the NBA for the most part was he was kind of, he was basically like an assistant coach on the, on the bench for the most part at the end of his career. So Luke seems like he would be a really good fit for LeBron. I don't really know what, if LeBron really wanted him gone, I'm not sure. I just don't understand what LeBron would be looking for in a coach besides some sort of, you know, famous coach with a huge pedigree of success or bringing back Ty. But, you know, Ty Lue barely made it uh, through last season. He had so many health issues. I'd be surprised if Ty really wanted to jump back into that ringer. I agree too. That's not another, another thing that's underreported. I believe is that his health was really struggling, uh, and it sounded like it didn't get much better with the absence of LeBron either. Which is uh, so you throw LeBron into that, and then it comes all it gets even worse. So I, I hear you on that one too. So it's probably one reason why they might not have you know pulled the trigger already. And if, if LeBron or if Tyron Lue had been feeling better, I, I fully believe that he would have already been the coach of the Lakers. And the one thing that's different between the difference between Spo and Riley was that you know. The Riley never had a moment where he had this speaking to to Spolstra in the beginning of the year, early on that in that whole setup. In fact, he, the speaking to he probably had was to LeBron to say, "F you, this guy's my coach, and you listen to him." And instead, what does Magic do? But you know, and it, it leaks that you know whatever it was, he had to you know have a talking to. It sounded like he had eight games to like audition for his job again, and they obviously did well enough for him to keep it. So. I, I, you're right. I haven't spent enough time thinking about who they'd bring in, but certainly, um, you know, it, it's got to be uh, something on their mind. And I, and I just feel like this is sort of the M.O. And uh, LeBron wants somebody that's going to be his guy. And um, I, for some reason, it just feels like Luke, you know, we wouldn't be hearing this stuff right now if that's the case. And I know it's LeBron's camp is being quoted in these uh, in this podcast by uh, by Windhorse and uh, Jack McMullen. So but LeBron's camp is LeBron and LeBron is, you know, LeBron's camp. I don't know. So we'll have to figure out what happens there. But keep your eye on that. And I do think that, uh, you know, the, by the way, the biggest part of the hot take I laid that we didn't discuss is the fact that, you know, whether or not his injury is severe enough where he should be out this many games. And I, you know, that's another interesting thing. And we can't really get into his head. We don't know. But um, it just sort of like it struck me in a way that they've never put any kind of timeline on it. It seems like no one seems to know when he's not going to play against the Suns uh, tonight. And it's like, man, if the Suns beat them at home, I would be really concerned if I was Luke Walton. It's true. You know, they they don't need LeBron to be able to beat the Suns when they're at home. So those are the kind of signs that there is something really not connecting and where it's not just some sort of BSPR campaign or something like that, where it's something 
where the team is legitimately not listening and executing what Luke is telling them. Or maybe Luke's game plan is bad, but I'm, I would be surprised if that was the case. I assume that's not it. So I think LeBron, what he's doing is he's 34 still, right? He's 34. And he knows that an injury like this could completely derail his career and maybe cut it short if he doesn't treat it as well as possible and make sure that it's 100% healed, especially considering we know what his usage is like. He's going to play 38 to 40 minutes in the playoffs. He's going to be going, he hopes to be going the distance. So I think he's just trying to be as cautious cautious with this as possible. I, I don't I don't see this as some sort of like he's faking, not faking, but like exaggerating it and sitting it out extra. I think he's trying to be as cautious as possible because he knows he's in his mid-30s and his ability to recover is going to be slower and his vulnerability to re-injure is going to be higher. Well, I'm glad I brought you on the show, Jared, because you're the guy who's going to give me a measured response and balance what I just said because that's all true, too. So we'll have to find out what happens tonight when we break this down. This bottle drop right after the game, and who knows? We might be right back here doing an emergency Luke Walton podcast uh, tomorrow midday, so we'll find <laughs> out. Keep your eye on that, and we will be right back after the break. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of B-Ball Breakdown a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at breakdown.robinhood.com. And we're back. Let's talk about the Warriors and the Celtics. Uh, they played a potential finals matchup, maybe. I don't know if anyone really thinks the Celtics are going to make the finals, and maybe you do, but uh, it certainly was an entertaining Man. game filled with all sorts of cray-cray. And I broke it down over on Free Dawkins' uh, YouTube channel today, so you can check it out there. It's a really good video. Um, but Jared, any uh, any any specific takeaway you have from uh, that game? Well, I would say that one, it's a finals matchup, and the idea that I think the four top teams in the East—Philly, Boston, Milwaukee, and Toronto—will probably be on even footing for the playoffs. So I think they all have a pretty equal chance of making the playoffs at this point. We'll see how that shakes out. Indiana was great, but without Oladipo, I just don't see them getting past the second round, maybe the first round, depending on matchup. Very but sad. yeah, it is really sad. Um, but you know, Boston, for all their issues that they've had this year, they won. They rise to the occasion against Golden State, and there's so much talk in the media between both teams about you know respecting one another and like this is a potential preview and whatever. You know, and Kyrie Irving after the game was saying this is just a regular season game. Uh, which I always love when guys pull that one out. Uh, maybe before the game, I get it. After the game, like, come on, don't be ridiculous. But so they play their hardest and their smartest when they're facing the Warriors, and they match up better against the Warriors than any other team in the league has over the past few years that seems to be holding up this year. 
they they still have a lot you know, Boston still has a bunch of weaklings. The Warriors weaklings are still so strong that they're not even weaklings. They're just it's it's insane how good they are with Boogie out there. I thought in this game Golden State played pretty well. It was an above average performance for them. And that that just shows how unbelievable they are. You know, they if if everything clicks for them, they're gonna win the title fairly easily. Mm-hmm. But Boston showed that they scheme well enough to match up with them. They have a plethora of guys that can chase Curry. Curry got he he had like four threes in a row that were pretty insane early in the second quarter. And then otherwise was pretty quiet for the rest of the night. So it was kind of a strange game for him. Yeah, KD uh, Jack five. Uh, it was five, five in a row, true. But it was he had like a, a three later in the quarter. It was he hit like four threes and like four straight possessions. Yeah, like okay, it was one after another. It was unreal. And the you know the thing is like looking at the box score, five threes looks amazing. Seeing four threes where comes down court, buries one, comes down court. You know, it happens over a two three minute span. Yeah. The emotional toll that that took takes on the team is remarkable. And to the Celtics' credit, they actually kind of fought back and the lead ballooned to nine, and they they came back and retook the lead. I think they were 21 lead changes in that game so that was mm-hmm. it was i mean it was an awesome game yeah. um but and, you know, they had playoff intensity as well so when yeah. Kyrie was saying that he obviously i mean when Kyrie cuts to the, to the hoop he doesn't get a doesn't get the pass they miss him open and he got really mad he got the tip in actually on that play but like you know you're not getting mad at not getting that cut in that that's in that shot there you know on a on a game against phoenix in march so we know that that's not a the typical reaction but um, let me just point this out because there was an interesting thing with uh, happened 20 seconds to go that I was up on Twitter kind of arguing and the, and the Boston fans were at me. Uh, they didn't. It was the ball went off of uh, the Warriors unexpectedly and that would have been the end of the game. They would have had a foul and then they hit the free throws and that was it. Uh, down by two, I believe the the Celtics were and they don't call timeout and they don't run a play, which is the weirdest thing for me because it was a perfect opportunity down two with enough time, run a great play, execute the shit out of it, get a great shot for three. And then if you miss, you still have an opportunity to tip it in with plenty of time. And instead they get like this ISO, um, you know, in the corner with uh, uh, Steph Curry, who had gotten, was guarding um, uh, Tatum and they get nothing but like a hesitant contested three by Morris on the weak side. So um, what are your thoughts on that? I know what did, what did Brad Stevens say after the game about it? Yeah, so that was a really interesting one. So he said that he didn't call a timeout because he liked the look that Tatum had. And so the thing is, Tatum in the corner, he tends to settle a little bit too much back to his step back shot, which is in his bag, but it's a really hard shot. The, the reason why Tatum never went to the shot was because Draymond did a great job of rotating down to the block in front of him so that Tatum knew he was going to drive into a trap. So they kicked the ball out um, to, I think there was a shooter at the top of the key that they kicked it to, and he wasn't able to get the shot off and it got to Morris, unless I'm mistaking it with another I think play. It was a but, skip. but uh, I'll look e- at it again real quick. Either way, the shot got to, the ball got to Morris. Morris took a fairly well-contested three-point shot. Steven said, you know what, Morris has hit a lot of those, so I thought that was a good look. He might have been overselling how good of a look it was just, you know, to save face for the team. But, you know, Morris has hit a lot of fairly contested threes so far in crunch time this year, so it wasn't a horrible shot. And I think the only reason why they didn't, why there wasn't a timeout there was because they had, I think, only one timeout left at that point. 
and Stevens wanted to save it so that they could use it again on you know you know fouled and advance right. the ball inbound that kind of thing. So, so totally fair. I, I just don't know why they wouldn't yeah. been like four. Hold up the number and they know exactly. Like they're prepared for that. These guys have played together for two seasons at least. It just seems like they would have run something. And here's the thing I have, which is the bigger argument with Tatum. And I, I wonder if you're going to argue with that with me is that. You know, and I don't watch every Celtics game. I will fully admit that, but I watch a lot of them. Tatum, to me, struggles mightily to beat his man off the dribble. And the argument tends to be, well, it's because he doesn't want to. He's doing the step back thing, and he could do it if he wanted to. But to me, if he could do it and he doesn't, that means he can't. And this is another example here where Curry was really pressuring and is sort of half trying to back down. I know Draymond came over, but... um, we saw a couple uh, earlier a possession before that where he had Draymond on him and he tried to like drive a couple different times and he just stone cold stopped him and made him like literally pivot face, put his back to the basket and like kick it out to somebody else. Um, do you think this is an issue? Yeah, I do. I agree. It's it's uh, you know remember he's in the middle of his second year, so the, <laughs> one of his big weaknesses coming into the league was that he wasn't good at attacking through contact and that was a big thing that he worked on this off season and. I think right now he's he's comfortable doing it on pick and roll and grab and go when he gets the ball swung to him, but he's not when he when he is in ISO with somebody he's only almost always trying to cross them up so we can get to a step back shot. A lot of the time it's usually a step back from twenty feet, which is something that has been infuriating the coaching staff all year. They've been really really hammering it home with him, and they think that they've been he's been getting a little bit smarter about his shot selection there. Uh, but yeah, he does not. He does not get all the way through. And if you compare it to guys that are similar to him, like Durant and Paul George, similar in, in style, not capability, obviously. Um, you know, those guys are who, you know, whose dimensions are somewhat similar. They tend to use some of the same moves, but then they're able to push off after making that move and get the, you know, get their shoulder into the defender's chest and work them into the paint. And then they can either get their step back from the paint or they get all the way to the rim. And I just think that's something that I don't, I don't think any of those guys really had that play down pat in their second season. I think it took them a little bit of time and that's just where that's the next evolution of where Tatum's game needs to go. And I think he was more aggressive with it in the playoffs last year, but he was also in a role where he kind of had to be the aggressor while now He's trying to figure out how to be a part of the offense without, oh, you know, without disrupting it. And he was a lot more disruptive earlier in the year than he has been lately, and that's why his quality of play seems to be a lot better now. Okay, interesting. I mean, yeah, again, you're making me like this crazy man throwing out these flamethrower hot takes, and you're the reason It's not guy. crazy. It's not. So, I, I, yeah. That's a good observation. It's one of the – it's like it's not a – it's on. It, he has bigger problems that he has to solve than that, but it's definitely one of the things that he needs to be great at if he's going to be an all-NBA player, which is what the goal is for him. Right, and what frustrates me, aside from the fact that they're the 20-footers along twos, is that there, become a, there will be a moment in the midst of this move that he's doing where he does have the lane. And he doesn't take it. And that's what I think that's what people argue with me about where it's like, well, he's doing the movie. He's getting the opening. He's just not taking it. I'm like, yeah, that, that means you cannot beat somebody like that's that's the mindset he has. And it could be the whole Kobe effect or whatever they're talking about on that. No, but, um, he just won't take it. And it's really, uh, you know, granted, he's in his second year and he's learning. And that, that, that should come, I would imagine, uh, with with some more experience. But I'd like to see it happen a little bit more. I've actually argued with him in like in his training team about that. 
he has this issue where he takes one he takes one step too many when he's doing when he's doing a move to try to open the defender's hips up mm-hmm. where once once that little opening shows up for him he yeah. tends to take one step around it and then go forward yeah. instead of trying to go right through their chest and go forward and he's yeah. not taking advantage of the way that the rules are structured where as the offensive player he can initiate that contact and they have to back off of him right. and he's still learning how to do that that's and when I- he becomes a deadly scorer when he starts doing that but I'm not even thinking that he needs to go through the guy and initiate the contact. I think he needs to just go, like, in, instead of the vector going sideways, it needs to be that step needs to be toward the basket, and that that's gets him I mean. right yeah. by him anyway. Or maybe a little bit of a bump, but either way, uh, yeah, that, that's the whole key. And it's like, it's all about footwork. It's about ground reaction forces. It's about, you know, um, you know lower body uh, strength and all those different things that he's developed. So we'll have to see. But um, either way, it was a great game. I mean, you know, overlooked because they won was Durant with a, with a horrible play to throw a, a Tom Brady yeah. style uh, touchdown pass when they when they were up. Uh, you know, all they had to do was hold on the ball and to get fouled under 30 seconds, and he throws the ball over uh, Iguodala's head. So it was weird that the, the Warriors kind of kept giving them chances, and then we have Draymond Green missing two free throws that would have also iced the game uh, for them down the stretch. But then. Um, so they got very ha- lucky there. Yeah, they, what happened was is a, it was a long miss. It, by the way, both misses exactly the same. So give him some credit for consistency, I suppose. Off the back iron, bounces hard, and we see that uh, Marcus Smart had had run into the lane to cover the shooter, like you're supposed to, like you know who's boxing out the shooter. Um, gets a step and a half too far. You know, I think it's it's a not well not, it, unnatural. Imp- important thing, he slipped. And that's the important thing that I feel like everyone's missing. He got he he got he went one step too far past where the rebound was, but he literally slipped on a on like a wet spot on the floor and hit the and I don't I don't remember if he hit the ground, but like no. he was literally sliding as the ball was going over his head. Oh. He would have had that rebound I think if he hadn't fell. Oh, well, so my argument was he shouldn't have been in the wet spot then. He, he needed to be, you know, like I said, <laughs> a step higher. So, yeah. you know, don't sleep in the wet spot. No, uh, anyway, so that's what I'm saying is, you know, he just got too deep. Now, again, that happens, but like not against the Warriors. If you want to be the Warriors, you cannot do those kind of things. You cannot let those things escape you. So uh, that's a good lesson to learn in January. So I'm sure that Stevens is happy with a lot of the progress that they made and those instances as long as they do learn and they're ready for that stuff. They're ready to have, a, a you know, a, a, an out-of-bounds player ready to go for a three, uh, you know, a good, a, a better three than they got. And, you know, he's not going, you know, too deep in there and letting Draymond get that long rebound back. And that was the finally what ended the game. So, uh, but, you know, and, and but, we, we did get a Stephen special on the sideline out-of-bounds play at the end, even though it didn't matter, where they loop it to the weak side uh, uh, low post, which I always like when he does that, you know, uh, from the from the sideline. The winner, the winner ATO, I think I've written a couple articles about that play. Yeah, one, what was oh. maybe one against the Heat a long time ago. Am I crazy? Yeah. Um, that sounds right. But Draymond sniffed it out perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it didn't matter. Now, Draymond got, or I think it was Draymond contested the three at the very end there a little bit aggressively. And, you know, that that shot goes in and the ref decides he didn't let him land. It's like it's a tie game. It, yeah. you know, so I guess none of the players won the game to end is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Actually, quick note, when Durant threw away that pass right before that, the Warriors had successfully trapped Kyrie against the uh, against the half court line. And Kyrie actually stepped in the backcourt. And I think it should have been a backcourt violation before he passed it out to Horford. So funny that you that's going to show up in the L2M report, I'm sure. Well, I, I went to Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Nunn, 19-year NBA ref, and I asked oh. him about that because if you notice, it was a great defense by uh, Curry to deflect the pass, the, the, the dribble. And when it's deflected like that, 
he's allowed to be in the backcourt, I believe, is what Ronnie told me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if it's off a of deflection, that's true. Okay, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't notice that part. Oh, because um, well, what, what you didn't see was when they go, they're like, we're going to force Curry to guard Kyrie. It's going to be awesome. We're going to score. And Curry is like, no, you're not. I'm going to hedge as hard as I can. I'm going to get in there like he does and, you know, take a chance on a swipe. He knocked the ball out, and uh, that's what happened with that one. So it was a good good no call by the rest, but it's like overlooked defense by by Curry. Again, well, I spent my entire career having to defend Curry's defense. But, um, yeah, that's sort of – that was the official line I heard. So I don't know if we're going to hear anything about that. They didn't review the out-of-bounds off. For the Warriors that we mentioned that that preceded this no they didn't run a great play uh, and that was a little bit curious but I think to me looking at it it just seemed pretty clear it, it, it ricocheted off of like maybe Draymond and Curry before it went out and uh, there was no need to review but you know my big takeaway from that game is not not just that the Warriors could have any one of their big guys step up and you know come through for them at the end like you know KD Clay and Steph all had their big moments throughout the game and then all contributed pretty well at the end there but Draymond's defense was so goddamn smart yeah he is he, he's I, I forget because I don't get to watch him very often he is such a maestro it's incredible he he was basically trying to find different ways to double on ball or kind of just shade and hint that he was going to double like that Tatum inbound with 20 seconds left he was just he was just sitting underneath yeah. in the right spot they would have another defender on the nail who was able to you know, close out to Morris and every everyone could rotate over. Draymond was doing a great job. They were really they were blitzing the Kyrie and Horford pick and rolls. Kyrie and Horford's pick and rolls and pick and pops have killed so many teams across the league this year. I don't think I've seen a team trap the ball as well as Golden State did there because not only did they suffocate Kyrie, but Draymond's timing to recover back to Horford when Kyrie wanted to pass the ball away was perfect every single time. So by the time Kyrie would pass it back to Horford, Draymond would be draped all over him. There was one really crucial, they had two really crucial turnovers on Kyrie, but Kyrie almost turned it over at the one we talked about before. There was one where they trapped him and Kyrie just like tried to do a dribble move and he lost the ball, which mm -hmm. the Celtics did twice at the end there. Only yeah. one of them got turned over, but Tatum and Kyrie and I think Jalen too have, uh, and Horford actually has done a couple times. They try to make some like fancy dribble moves in crunch time and turn it over, which is like insane. And I can't believe that this team does that considering how much they focus on being disciplined. But the play that blew me away was a play where they had a side pick and roll for Kyrie and Horford. Horford pops. Draymond smothers Kyrie. Kyrie's completely trapped. Passes it back to Horford. Draymond tries to run up on Horford and smother him so that he can't face the basket, but then realizes that Kyrie's about to cut back door. So he quickly sags off and puts his hand down into that passing lane and seals the ball. And like, I don't think there's anyone there's there's like no other defender in the NBA that can pull that off. Right. And just to make it clear what you're talking about, it was he stole the pass from his man. So he was guarding the guy that was passing the ball and still was able to take a step and reach out and steal a bounce pass backdoor cut that was open. That would have been it's a brilliant. surefire, too. So I showed that in the video, too. Another amazing play. I mean, listen, Draymond, I think, is the greatest offender we've had in this era, and I think he could go down as the greatest offender of all time. Uh, th that might end up being my hottest take, and I don't understand why. But then again... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to back away from the things. microphone slowly while you say that, just so I don't get hit in the crossfire here. <laughs> all right, good. So, all the Bill Russell stands in Boston are starting to take up arms. All right, well, let's talk to uh, you about the All-Star selections, because we have oh, uh, the starters now. And we have a little de uh, debating as we finish up the podcast to discuss uh, some of the people on the, the bench who are going to come off the bench. So um, really quickly, the, we have the starters, uh, and I guess we can just run those down. Curry, Harden, 
LeBron, KD, and AD. It's a very formidable uh, group of five right there. On the east, it's Kyrie, Kemba, Giannis, Kawhi, and Embiid, all one-namers. And uh, I guess all those guys are one-namers. So we now have to decide how this is going to work. The captains, LeBron and uh, Giannis, are going to choose players from the remaining pool that the coaches choose of the, of the 14 players who are left, seven on each side. So, Jared, you want to just kind of run down and we'll sort of kick it off with, like, who you think that should make it? So my first thing is I had Jokic as a starter instead of LeBron. LeBron's missed enough time that I think I had to find another choice, only if that choice was playing at an MVP level. Paul George and Jokic were the two guys that fit that bill for me. And I think it might have just been, honestly, just a bias towards Jokic and just loving what he brings and how he's kind of like my dream player of a flabby seven-footer that can just run an entire <laughs> offense from the, with the ball over his head. So I picked I picked Jokic there, but, you know, it doesn't really make a difference for the team. So here's where I'm really struggling. So I think the picking the last guy is really hard for both of these conferences. So for the East, I have... My guards as Lowry and Beal. I have Griffin and Vucevic as forwards. And then I slid Ben Simmons over as another forward just to make it count. He could he plays every position on the floor except for center, so that works. And then I would have had I, I had Oladipo in there, but I'm gonna take that out just since he's obviously not gonna be playing. Right. That's where it gets really tricky. So there's there's Siakam. Bledsoe, Middleton as the options here, I think. And then I feel like I'm forgetting another good yeah, choice. Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, thank you. So and Jimmy D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, so then you can so so basically I think there's two tiers of options here. You have what I what I think is probably the top tier, which are second you know, second or third stars on the, like the top supporting players on the two teams that are kind of like on a different plane than the rest of the conference. And which is Middleton, Siakam, and Bledsoe. And then, you know, a lot of people have said Brooke Lopez is a good candidate. I do agree he's a good candidate, but just his offensive role is a little too limited for for me to think he should be. Um, But his defense has been great this year. But both Bledsoe and Middleton play a much larger role on both sides of the ball. And I can't believe I'm talking about Eric Bledsoe as an all-star just because last year I watched him play one of, like, the worst playoff series I've ever seen uh, Mm -hmm. up close in person that first round. So... I'm going with Siakam and Bledsoe at this point. You know, Siakam has just done so much. Kawhi obviously transformed the Raptors, but Siakam has kind of changed the energy that that team has and has really propelled them to a unique level. Is uh, just the the way that he plays the game. I think is as infectious as Kawhi's ability to control the game. For sure, and, so, and I love yeah, the, I love the way he can grab rebounds and push the ball and handle and then pass and make plays, which is a revelation for a team like that. Whenever you can have a guy who's big who can then control rebounds and then handle and then even shoot a little bit uh, is a really big reason why they're doing so well. Plus, his defense is terrific, so I love it. I I like to like you know err on the side of people who haven't made it before. So I I mean I, you know the whole idea about LeBron is kind of silly only because of course he's going to be the captain and of course he's going to start or whatever. But I hear you as far as the games play issue, uh, which kind of goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning of this uh, podcast. And uh, and certainly Jokic has been a revelation as well. Paul George has been fantastic. You um, So so all those, uh, to comment on those things, I know we, I just went back to the West, but let me go back to the East. Uh, okay, here's my issue. I don't like Bledsoe. I don't like the way he plays the game. Middleton, <laughs> I would probably choose ahead of him. But 
uh, you know, pound for pound, he's probably not having any significant of a better year than Bledsoe. So, okay. And you, uh, and you have think... to do it based on their performance this year. I, I don't agree yeah. with anyone who factors in for previous years. For sure. So that's why I, I want to see, you know, D'Angelo Russell. So here's the question. Let's say you want to go him head-to-head versus Bledsoe. Who should get in? Uh, you know, okay, Bledsoe plays better defense than Russell without question. But I think that Russell's offense has been much better than Bledsoe's. And he had to figure out if it over outweighs the defensive things. I'm not even that slow about Lowry. I kind of feel like Lowry's been kind of a blah this year. Um, I know they're they're playing terrific, and he's a, he's an important part of that. But I don't know if he's played up to all star standards. So that's another reason why you know like does Jimmy Butler get in there instead? Who's you know it's kind of crazy we're not really putting him in there. I, I have to imagine he makes it, but um, it's hard to figure out who he would jump over either. So it's a real interesting question. I I disqualify Jimmy for the Minnesota thing. I think that's a I think it's pretty easy to disqualify him for that. His, you mean the part his, where he wrote "trade me" on his stomach and then was lifting up his uh, jersey and showing it to everybody? <laughs> I mean, everything that he did. I don't really care what he's achieved on the basketball court. He just he completely you know upended a franchise, and you don't you don't get to be an all you know being an all star isn't just about the numbers you put up. It's about your role on the floor, which is why Pascal Siakam I have as an all star. And you know he's he's averaging what like fifteen and eight this year. His numbers aren't all star level, but his role and impact on that team is so substantial. And then Butler hasn't it hasn't been clean for him in Philadelphia either. Beyond the public comments about, um, I can't remember if it, if it was on the record or reported now with Butler. I just assume everything reported about him is basically him on background. But complaining about the types of plays that he's in in Brett Brown's offense, like. I mean, just the fact that Jimmy Butler's complaining about how the Sixers are using him is a red flag enough for me. Where like he, like the the Philly has a really goddamn good program going there, mm-hmm. and if he can fall in line, I agree with him that they should run high pick and roll with him and Embiid. Like I agree with that, but the idea that they should be going to ISO sets for him, I think, is is laughable. And right. so, oh well, you know, hey, throw him a bone, give him a couple, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like, like let him have corner. one or two a game. Sure. Yeah, whatever. That's not a big yeah. deal. But yeah. yeah they he has been an issue everywhere he goes and most of the time it's you're you're cool with it because he's elevated the team but i don't think he's really elevated the sixers yet the sixers are performing at a fairly comparable level to where they were before he got there i think their their ceiling and their potential to get to the finals this year is much greater with him on board um assuming he's still there in a few weeks but he hasn't done anything to make up for what he did to minnesota and so I just don't see any reason why we should consider him an all-star. We can, you know, he could still turn it around and reach all NBA and we can recognize him as incredibly talented, but there's other guys that have done so much and even maybe settled into lesser roles that can make it ahead of him that have really helped their teams out a bit of positive influence on their teams and his individual skill and his stats don't make up for what they've helped their teams achieve. Right. And another argument for Russell is, you know, over, over the last 15 games, the Nets are third in winning percentage. So they've been playing better than anybody uh, over the last several, you know, probably even longer than 15 games ago. So uh, give him, give the kid a shot. I don't think he's going to do it. They're going to, I think, I think gonna, they're going to take Butler on name and recognition and all that stuff. But uh, let's go over to the West because there's some interesting stuff happening there. Um, you want to run down your, who you think is going to make it on that side? Okay. So Dame Lillard's a lock. The fact that he's not a starter is pretty always interesting. Um, I'm going to skip my guard for a second here. But so I have on the bench LeBron, Paul George, or Rudy Gobert. You could swap out Jokic with LeBron to make it match what's actually happening. And then so Towns, I think, is a lock, 
you know, people can, I think people can reasonably have their gripes about how mediocre he was in the first half for, I guess, first month of the season. But ever since Butler is gone, he's been on, he's been unreal. His defense has even been pretty, you know, pretty solid and his offense has been insane. Okay. But yeah, he's been insane for sure. His defense has been better than it was yeah, before. Was Good enough that they're not horrible. Right. Um, and then, so Russ is a really weird one this year. People look at his shooting going down as a sign that he's having a bad year. When I watch him play, I think that his poor shooting has helped him become a little bit more passive, which has made him more of a passer. And he has been, I mean, his assist numbers have been unreal so far. And he, when you watch him, he's, he seems like he's looking the pass, not just for staff padding, but he seems like he's actually running plays and he's trusting Paul George, who's been amazing this year. So I'm pretty comfortable with him being out there, even though I still think his defense is not good. And then that leaves one more spot for Drew Holiday or Aldridge or DeRozan or Gallinari or Harris or Luca and Mike Conley, I guess I could put up there too. I am going with I'm going with Drew Holiday and I I feel weird not giving the Spurs a guy while giving the Pelicans two, but Drew Holiday has been unbelievable this year. Like borderline all star starter level play. Uh his what was his on off differential? It's like they're plus three point five with him on the floor, net rating, and then they're 99. minus nine point five after that. I mean like the differential's insane. He is He's one of the best defenders in the game. He's been shooting well this year. He attacks the rim so well. He just he he that team is so unbelievably bad without him on the floor, especially without him and AD on the floor. They're like a G League team. So, I mean, just I I don't I can't imagine him not being an All Star. It's it's uh, this. Th- there's no good solution here because Aldridge I think clearly deserves to be it. I mean, he some of the scoring performances he's, he's had this year have been absolutely insane. Uh, but I just I can't. Drew is just such a great two way player. He's been so amazing this year. I just think it would be, a, I, I think it's impossible to leave him off there. So I would almost rather have Westbrook off than Drew Holiday, which also doesn't seem to make any sense. Right. Uh, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave Lamarcus off and just not be able to sleep for the next few days. I hear you. Okay, because you know, yeah, if you leave Russ off and you can't, he's averaging like a triple double. He's getting a lot of steals. And I, I see what you're saying. I see, you know, moments where he is looking to be more of a facilitator. And it, it, it suits him better. The team seems better when he is kind of, you know, being a little more passive. I'm going to check his uh, field goal attempts. You know, it's, it's down one a game. Um, and, but he's also playing like one less minute a game. So it's hard to know if he's taking any less shots. But um, I would go, you know, we have an interesting discussion here because, yeah, LaMarcus deserves to make it. And he's, he's having a good year. But then you have Tobias Harris, you know, a guy who never gets enough recognition. The Clippers are playing really well, too. Uh, And then you have Luka Doncic, who's having a rookie season that we haven't really seen anybody do in a long, long time. And and he he certainly got a lot of votes for the starters. So um, I I, I would love, again, I love to see these upstarts, guys who kind of break the mold and aren't like the typical uh, pick. So that would go with Drew over Russ, for instance. And that gives me room to get Tobias in there or Doncic. Uh, and if you leave the LMA off there, then not just can, both those guys can fit in there. So uh, I agree. It's an interesting uh, dilemma and certainly more of a dilemma in the West than it is in the East, which, again, is, is clear. Uh, there's just better players in the West. Well, this is an important question. So Tobias is, has like a almost like a 50-45-90 season going on. 
He's like his numbers have been pretty insane, and you get to watch him up close a lot more. Do you think his usage and role in the offense is big enough to justify him being an All Star? Yes. Okay. You know, I mean, it'd be worth checking what the usage is. It's got to be 25% at least, which is like, okay, you're getting into normal starter territory. He is a bit of a complimentary player as well. And that's, you know, he, he isn't that traditional guy you're going to ISO and say, go get us the bucket to win the game you know, on the last shot. But um, he's just solid. I, I just come away watching those games being like, man, he is just really good. And the team is really good, surprisingly, without like a ton of really top heavy talent. And uh, again, it's the narrative. It's like, let's let's get some guys in here who don't often get that recognition or that all star. Right? I don't think he has not been an all star. Am I correct in saying that? Tobias? No. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Let let's let's let him uh, you know throw him a bone for heaven's sakes. So that, that's how my my feeling is, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. We don't do we don't do we know when the teams are going to be announced? Uh, the thirty first, so a couple days from now. Okay, great. So well, this this will drop uh, on yeah on Monday, so we'll know pretty soon how how uh, close we are. I know we're going to be very close. It's only going to be a, like one player we're probably wrong on, or or maybe two. So we'll have to see how that works. But but Jared, thanks for breaking this all down for us. I'm telling you, man, I, I'm feeling so bad about LaMarcus not being on this team. I gotta, I'm trying to figure out how I can change this up. Like, do yeah. I? Yeah. Well, listen, again, he's towns? been on the team. He's been on the All Star team multiple times. Yeah. So, you know, let him go to Aruba, wherever they go when they, when they have that extra vacation and hang out and sip some pina coladas by the pool. I think he's a Turks and Caicos guy, but, you know, uh, I'll, I'll make sure he gets taken care of. But yeah, I bet I, I'm, I'm full. Individual meritocracy based on that performance that season, that's it. So I don't really care what happened in the past. I would personally love to see Luca and Tobias Harris and Drew all yeah. get there. It, you know, LaMarcus I've seen a million times. Westbrook I've never really been a fan of. So, you know, I would love to see these other guys get rewarded. And I think we're pretty confident that, like, Luca and Fox and probably Tobias Harris are going to be all-stars in the near future. Right. You know, Jamal Murray and, and Donovan Mitchell will probably continue to improve and get there in a year or two. So, I'm uh, you know, actually, I'm kind of surprised that Mitchell didn't end up making it this year. But it's funny when you look at the guys, like the reserves. I'm looking at my list of reserves right now as LeBron James and Paul George and Damian Lillard, who are all guys that should be starting in the All-Star game every year. It's pretty remarkable that that's just how deep the West is. And comparing it to the East, it's kind of laughable. Mm-hmm. Like oh, Bradley Beal. Like, yeah. the gu- I Bradley Beal's the best player like- yeah, trying to find good guards in the East before the show started. It was like, oh, there's just not that many. And then you thought, like, the forwards were really thin, too. So it's like, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's a really strange thing. And, and we have we have only the general managers and owners to blame, I suppose, for putting themselves in these situations. For, it's It's got to be since Shaq went to the Lakers is when the East really fell uh, or lost its uh, dominance. And now it's, uh, it's they've never gotten back. I would just blame mild weather bands. That's pretty much it. It's yeah. just that the western half of the country, the weather is way more consistent. That's interesting. Well, that could be it for another uh, break, uh, for another podcast. So we'll have to see how that goes. But, Jerry, thanks for joining us today. Everyone else, thank you for lasting with us uh, to this part of the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back again really soon, right, Jared? That's right. As soon as Marcus Aldridge is done murdering me. Okay. We will uh, hopefully prove it if we need to or you know, find you uh, still breathing. You heard it here first. That's right. So this is the proof and this is the uh, the evidence. So... Don't forget, sports fans, that B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm locked up in LaMarcus's basement. 